0: Racial tensions are simmering at Southwestern College. Despite having a diverse staff and students, many black students and faculty say that they've experienced racism on campus. Kindred Murillo, the president and superintendent of Southwestern, has tried to turn the tide, but faces a difficult cultural fight. For the San Diego union tribune I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Kristen you cover education for the Union Tribune, and you had a story about what's going on at Southwestern College with racial tensions. Why don't you explain what are the nature of these racial tensions at this college?
1: Yeah, so I think a lot of it uh, started with what's happening with the employees on campus, specifically a lot of African-American employees on campus have been, um, say, have been saying that they've been subject to uh, discriminatory, like lots of um, discrimination, whether it's being called racial slurs or um, being passed up for promotions um, versus other, qual- when they were as qualified as other candidates and things like that. And a lot of those allegations were specifically laid out in this report that was done by some uh, some USC researchers about a year ago. And so, um, yeah, the college has, but Really, after I talked to some people who Mm -hmm. have been around on campus for a while or who know of the history, this isn't new. There have been tensions on campus for a long time, like stretching back decades. And it sounds like a lot of it has to do with the way HR has been handled at the college for a long time. And the college has been, in general, trying to juggle, uh, struggling with a lot of different structural, basic uh, things like HR. And so I think just the culmination of that after many years has led to a lot of, or a a significant number of employees um, being becoming, or Mm -hmm. being, feeling like they have been overlooked or discriminated against. And so um, it's kind of, the college is kind of trying to deal with all these issues at once.
0: Yeah, it seems like in a sense, the system was broken itself, which allows these biases to kind of grow in a sense.
1: Yeah, I I think um, one of the things that the college president has um, been focused on is, for example, like uh, shortening the time that investigations are uh, begun or um, that happen for employee complaints or um, claims like this. And so, um, yeah, it does sound like that it has created some kind of a buildup like that.
0: And what were some of the examples that were laid out in the report of structural racism?
1: Um, uh, The report kind of focused almost uh, a lot of a lot of it was that the vast majority was focused on um, specifically black classified employees, which are non-faculty and non-administrator positions. And so um, and then one of the um, one of something that was included in there was actually also The subject of a lawsuit that the college had recently gotten, and it was from three custodians, um, two of whom were black and one of whom was Hispanic. They were, um, they all said that they were the subject of really um very severe discrimination, like finding. Um, a diaper with chocolate smeared on it in their um, in their personal belongings or they also said that they had been their fellow employees had used monkey sounds on and when communicating with them and so it's just very severe things like that and so but it's kind of really hard to at the same time it's hard to know exactly how many people on campus have been affected by discrimination um, like this because the report, for example, by the USC researchers, it only uh, it only they only interviewed some dozen employees out of the colleges, more than I believe it's twelve hundred employees or it's more than a thousand. So we don't know. That's only a fraction of what of the of the employees on campus. And also, I think one of the criticisms of that report was that it didn't focus as much on other Racial and ethnic groups who might be who are also underrepresented on campus,
0: and this is a Hispanic majority campus, right?
1: Yes, in terms of students, um, about two thirds of the students are Hispanics, and it's a Hispanic serving institution, which the college is very proud of, and so um, it is kind of unique in that I, it's uh, the racial tension that um, a lot of people are saying is happening is between Hispanics and African Americans when. And I I, um, I just thought that was interesting because both groups are underrepresented and disadvantaged in education in general. So it's it's I don't know, it's just an interesting dynamic that is not very common elsewhere because we don't have as many colleges where there are so many uh, underrepresented groups in, in, on campus.
0: Yeah, it's like similar stories out of UCSD among Asians and Hispanics. It's like tensions can exist without mm-hmm. you know the, the usual narrative of racism mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. America is used to, unfortunately. And um, this isn't just within the system and the employees of Southwestern. There was also instances of racism among the students. And you had a story about an election that went awry. Can you recap that?
1: Yeah, so it's kind of complicated, but basically what happened is... Um There were these. There was a the annual student government election, and then two slates of candidates ran. One was predominantly Hispanic, the other was predominantly African American, and so um, there was there were some incidents that happened. And I won't go into detail with all of them because it's a lot. But um, one of the major incidents to happen was there was somebody. We still don't know who did this, but somebody posted this. Kind of a jarring Instagram post. It basically, it was very, uh, it called, I'm paraphrasing here, but it called for the chopping off of the heads of the Eurocentrist Mexicans on campus. It was very, mm-hmm. uh, very jarring and um, had shocking language in it. And then it also featured a, a video of the presidential candidate for the predominantly black. Slate of candidates um, she was uh, it, f- it featured a video of her protesting so it led to um, some arguments and debates as to whether somebody was trying to frame the black candidate slate for racial discrimination against Mexicans and then it was just a whole mess. And so um, the superintendent of the college ended up calling off the election um, and so we they still don't have, you know, a, a new, Um, They don't have any new officers for the next school year. So it's unclear when another election will be held. And then also uh, the college is investigating the Instagram posts and then Uh also some other allegations of discrimination um, that supposedly happened during the election. So it's a whole that's a whole nother Mm -hmm. um, issue there. But that's one example of how. Um, I think the racial tensions spilled over into the student body this year.
0: Mm -hmm. It's an unfortunate story, but something that we are hearing more and more on on college campuses nationwide. So after all of this, what steps is the college taking to try to improve racial understanding and race relations on campus?
1: Um, I think what they are doing a lot of right now is focusing on rebuilding their HR department, which um, I think they've they said they told me will help solve a lot of these problems, and then they also just need basic systems in there that, um, that weren't there at the college before, um, in the years previous. They say, um, and all uh, all of these leaders I'm talking to, like the board president and the superintendent, they they've all only joined the college in like the last three years, and mm-hmm. so they're pretty new to this. But they're just, they they keep. They've told me that they're determined to fix all these problems, and so. And This is something um, that
0: will likely take several years to implement. Yeah, yeah, a system. yeah. You can't
1: fix something like this over um, in one year, or overnight. So, um, but yeah, so the superintendent is working, especially on hiring a more diverse uh, workforce, um, and it's kind of interesting how she's going about doing that. She's um, having like she's basically monitoring the diversity of at every step of hiring. Like she's looking. To make sure, like, she won't let a hiring commence if the hiring committee isn't diverse enough for her. And then, um, same thing, with, uh, and then she's also monitoring the diversity of the candidate pool at every step, every level, to see who advances and who doesn't. And so, I think they believe that just ha- that increased hyper focused attention on diversity um, will yield more. Um, will yield a more diverse uh, pool and um, workforce, and so the numbers they did show me do show that they have, like in the past two years, they have increased the um, Hispanic uh, or they've increased their number percentage of Hispanic employees. But uh-huh. I think they uh, for African Americans it did not increase, and so um, we'll see just how that plays out in future future months and years, and so. I think that's something that they've been focusing a lot on.
0: Certainly. And taking those steps will take a long period of time to kind of d- dismantle the, the wider system of oppression that allows people to believe that they are able to say these terrible things to other people, which they shouldn't. Mm-mm. We'll be right back.
1: Hey, listeners. This is Abby Hamblin, co host of another podcast here at the Union Tribune The Conversation with Abby and Luis. You can find it on your favorite listening app or wherever you've found this podcast. Our latest episode is about Comic-Con, which begins in San Diego on July 18th through the 21st. So we want to invite you to listen to that episode or check out all our coverage of the annual convention on SanDiegoUnionTribune.com in print or on all our social media handles as the event unfolds. Make sure you join us and we will see you then.
0: Also, amid ongoing scrutiny of charter schools, data shows that many charter school executives end up making more money than their counterparts in traditional public schools. Kristen, why are these individuals making so much money?
1: Well, I reached so I reached out to um, the charter schools who are, uh, and there are a few of them um, who are earning a lot of money. I spe- I specifically looked for charter school leaders who made over. Three thousand dollars in twenty sixteen. There aren't that many, but there are a few who do. And so when I reached out to those charter school organizations, generally what they told me was that they looked at comparable compensation for CEOs of other nonprofits in the area. And so um, I think, th- and that stands. I think that speaks to a difference between school districts and charter schools, and that uh, school districts are, you know, part of the they're part of a government they're like a public agency yeah. a strictly pub- public agency whereas charter schools are publicly funded but they are independently run and so a lot of what charter school leaders do can arguably be said to be different than school districts like they have to it's basically like starting a business when they start a charter school essentially and so they have to start it from the ground up and so yeah, so when I talked to these charter school uh, groups, they said they had looked for comparable to CEOs, and then also um, in some cases, like with one of the schools, I uh, s- charter school leaders I mentioned um, of Inspire Charter Schools, they mm. had ended up they ended up giving him so much money. Um, it was more than five hundred thousand dollars in one wow. year, which um, sounds like a lot of money. And they said they um, had. Part of that was back paying him. That was their argument there, but mm-hmm. his his salary still ended up being an average of three hundred eighty thousand dollars for each year he's worked there. So that's still way higher than what, for example, San Diego Unified superintendent makes, which was about two hundred eighty seven thousand dollars in twenty sixteen. And so, and San Diego Unified has more than a hundred thousand students. It has more,
0: and no charter school has that.
1: Yeah, no. Um, Inspire has um 10 a few uh, some tens of thousands of students, but it's nowhere near 100,000 and they also don't have any just they're non-classroom based, so they don't have school buildings to, mm-hmm. to take care of per se like San Diego Unified does, which has about 180 schools. And so it's just interesting seeing how different um how different school districts and charter schools are.
0: So As they describe themselves as being separate and and different from a public school, that's why they pay people differently. Do you think that comparison, the other side, between a school superintendent and a charter school leader, do you think that comparison is fair?
1: And if so, why? Um, I think there could be arguments made for both. Um, I think on on the one hand, charter school leaders do, or a lot of charter school leaders are very much like, Superintendents or principals, and that mm-hmm. they run, they basic, they run the school. So that's that's the job of a superintendent or a principal. And so um, they and their, and a lot of their duties are arguably similar. And then I think uh, probably the main areas in which it might be different, looking at a charter school leader, is that they do have to kind of it's like almost running like a startup or starting up a. Mm-hmm. a new business even though it's not it's it's a nonprofit but um, you do have to start something from scratch. you have to find buildings and you have to um, recruit new employees and everything or, or recruit a whole new set of employees and when you're first starting out in charter school, but yeah, it makes um, sense
0: you'd lose money in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And um, we had the story a couple months ago about charter school fraud in East County. And it seems like, in general, charter schools have less scrutiny than public schools. So do you think that the fact that these individuals who, yes, in a sense, are building their own business from the scratch, they don't have that same level of transparency? Is there some red flags there?
1: Um, Well, I think charter school advocates will say that they are held to transparent standards. But I think when looking at, like, for example, when I talked about salaries in this particular story, I noted that it is in a way, slightly it's it's a little more difficult to find out what charter school employees are paid because Mm -hmm. they're not published on databases like School District Pay is like I could look up right now what um, the superintendents of essentially all the major school districts made Mm -hmm. and um, up to even 2018 for some school districts, but for charter schools I would. The ways to find out um, pay are more limited. The only sure way I could do that is, um, or you can look at that, you can look at their uh, IRS tax filings, but um, those are years old. And then um, it's hard to find those for some schools. And so, and it's just, it's just, and then I think what was also interesting in this story I found is that Transparent California, which is the main, Database that publishes public employee pay data. Mm-hmm. They, I, the reason that they don't publish much charter school pay data at all is because they, um, partly because they are trying to prioritize their resources. You know, like they don't have time and resources to uh, get every charter school's pay data. But also, they had tried reaching out to charter schools and getting sending them public record requests, but not many charter schools ended up believing that they the Public Records Act didn't even apply to them, um, and that they weren't held to those same uh, account- or transparency laws that every school district knows that they are subject to. So I just thought that was an interesting finding that I learned for the story.
0: Yeah, and also after the the fraud in Tahisa, and also District Attorney Summer Steffen saying that she wants to investigate and hold charter schools more accountable than she has in the past... Do you see a sense of change in the charter school community or are things as of now relatively the same?
1: Well, I think in general there has been more focus, like for example in Sacramento on holding charter schools accountable with now that we have a new governor who has uh, been vocal or he's been more vocal about this than his predecessor. And then Mm -hmm. also we have, we still have um, some bills moving through the legislature that would Um, put put more uh, put some more restraints on charter schools and so I think and then yeah stories like um, Summer Steffen's allegations about the or everything she the indictment about um, the A3 charter schools that happened recently that all just kind of adds more um, fuel to the argument that charter schools um, should be held more accountable or more accountable to transparency standards
0: Mm mm-hmm All right, Kristen Takeda, thank you so much. Thank you. In other education news, things are looking up for Sanya Cedar School District a year after they got a new superintendent. Gina Potter has had to deal with fallout from her predecessor who was overpaid by more than $160,000. This year, though, the district closed a budget deficit as well as revamped internal communications for employees and rolled out new programs to its many low-income students. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix, which goes live weekdays at 5 p.m. You can also listen to Hot Lava, our Padres podcast. Union Tribune sports editor Jay Posner and baseball beat writer Kevin Acey talk about the team's ups and downs, comings and goings. Look for it on your podcast app or go to uniontrib.com slash hotlava Until next time.